You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good to be with you. You know, just like the kids ran up to get their first grade Bibles, we're going to run to God's Word. I like that. Can we have that attitude today? We have the ability to have that attitude today. There's been a lot going on this week, hasn't there? Yeah, and I don't know what you're feeling right now. I'm not going to share you how I'm feeling, but, um, <laughs> but you know, we're here to acknowledge that Jesus is enthroned in heaven and ruling and overruling. That's, that's why we're here. If you're joining us online, that's what you are joining us for, for his honor and glory. So as we begin and as we run to God's word for encouragement, I want us to begin by inviting him uh, to just, just fill us with his spirit and show us what we need to see in here. Uh, Heavenly Father, your spirit is so, so evident in the place this morning, and we're so grateful uh, for your presence. We acknowledge, Jesus, that you are Lord. And as we acknowledge that, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, you would uh, uh, prepare us for what is next. We're going to be talking a bit about our, our attitude towards each other, but also uh, towards the future and what we foresee and, and, and what we uh, hope in. Uh, Lord, I ask you to guide my words uh, that every word that is from my tongue this morning would be pleasing to you, the right thing that we need to hear as we, as, as we look into some fairly challenging verses about arrogance, God, uh, would you convict our hearts? And so as your word does, we we ask it to do that in your name, and, and we too, again, say be praised uh, both in our worship and music and in our study today in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I mean, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, where he talks a bit about arrogance. That's kind of the theme today. The term arrogance is mostly seen as an outward attitude, action, or even a style. I mean, when I, when I think of arrogance, I kind of picture, you know, a person, that sort of thing. I like this, this picture. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome I am. Yeah? <laughs> kind of appreciate that one. Yeah, arrogance, it's kind of a style when you think about it. But as it relates to being an adjective, the term that is, uh, here, here's what, here's a definition of the term as an adjective. Uh, I'll show that to you on the screen so that you can kind of take this in. Making claims or pretensions to higher or superior importance or rights, which is really like saying, I deserve this. Ever said that before? You better be shaking your head, right? I deserve this. this that's the attitude. Here. This is what James is speaking to in chapter 4, 11 through 17. We're going to finish out the chapter today. See, there's been some tension in the church that James is writing to at Jerusalem over arrogant and judgmental people who assumed their way over everyone else's way and seemingly even over God's way or will, as we like to say. And we all need to hear this challenge in chapter 4 because arrogance takes on many forms in our lives. Let me show you how, how James addresses this. What does he say? Starting in verse 11, if you're following along, he says, Do not speak evil against 
one another. The prior verse talks about humbling yourself before the Lord, okay? Then he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother, a brother or sister, he's talking to Christians, judges his brother, speaking evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? (laughs) But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, we're going to go through another section, but let me just pause here for now. Maybe turn to your neighbor and say, who are you? It's fun. No, seriously. Go ahead. Who are you? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Stop playing God. We don't see the big picture, and we don't know the heart of someone's intentions. Sure, we see their actions. In fact, we will know people by their their fruits. But who are you? Look at you going around and determining the motives of someone's soul. Who are you to claim what only God knows? Of course, just like in chapter 2, Uh, James is not condemning all forms of judgment. We need to be discerning. We will be discerning. But the attitude, and let me just say the activity of a believer who takes it upon himself to judge every neighbor, every people group, every denomination, every ministry, is forgetting one very important thing, and that is, you are not God. And he is the rightful judge. The one who gives the law and makes law is the rightful judge over the law. Where we get ourselves into trouble is when we start making up on our own. And that's actually at the heart of of the foundation of what sin really is. Doing it our way. Notice how James articulates in verse 11. If you judge the law, you're breaking the law. You become the judge, you're not following the law, you're you're breaking the law. Only the lawgiver can be the judge. That's the heart of what we call sin. It's mankind's attempt to make up the rules, either as we go along or our way. And that's why it's arrogance. God's a rightful judge. That's the heart of what James is teaching here. And of course, he's relating it to the way we treat one another, and also the way we look at it in relation to what we know or what we lack knowing about the future. We'll get to all that, but first, let's, let's address judgment uh, as, as it relates to relationships with one another. Because keep in mind, of course, he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers in Christ. And as I was thinking about this subject this week, I, I was trying to consider some of the ways we tend to do this in the church. And I came up with kind of four things that came to mind. The first one, as an example, is the most obvious one. It's judging someone's soul or heart. I think we're pretty quick to say, oh, we don't do that. And yet, we do think things like, I don't think he could be a Christian. He plays cards and smokes and drinks. I don't think he could be a Christian. That sort of thinking. Or or do you know what she just said? There's no way she is a follower of Jesus. No, we all fall into the trap of judgment. And James says that's hurting the body of Christ. For only he is the judge. 
It's destroying relationships within the church. Only he is the judge. Another example of this, it's similar but still different, judging someone's motives. Like when you say something like, I know you intended to do this. I know you intended. No, we don't know what was intended. Or, or maybe something like this. You said that to me because you think, have you ever said that? Like this morning? Yeah? yeah? Or maybe you've said something like this. Do you see the look on his face? I know that he is thinking. No, we don't know what they're thinking unless they share it with us, Right? That's being certainly judgmental. How about this one? I just know he doesn't like me. I know she doesn't like me. We make quick judgments, don't we? These are, these are everyday things. We have a world filled with anxious and worried people living with assumptions about what their neighbor thinks of them. We all do it, whether it's true or not. We waste a lot of time thinking about what people are thinking, right? And we're wasting our time thinking about what people are thinking about things, especially people we'll never even meet. And, and I think what James is, is getting to is there's so much to do, church. Stop wasting your time. Not to mention it divides people. It damages relationships, and it doesn't belong in the church. James references this in Chapter 2, verse 4, look at it with me. He says this, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, discernment, it, it protects someone's character. Unbiblical judgment is malicious. It attacks someone's character, Right? Judging someone's motives. How about this one? Another example, number three. Ever prayed for someone in judgment? Like, like being angry with someone and praying for their heart to change, but not your own? Your own? <laughs> like, Lord, be with Gary or Mary or Larry or Sherry. Lord, Lord, just change their heart. They have, uh, boy, they need you. Who do they need you? They need you so much, God. The way they've been treating me lately, man, Lord, forgive them. How about this? Lord, change my heart and may my example help mend the relationship. Yeah? Yeah, we do things like this, don't we, church? Here's another example it's the fourth one, making a judgment of wrongdoing, but never lifting a finger yourself to doing anything about it. What do we call that? Hypocrisy, right? And we all do it in one way or another, both personally, but also with really, really big things. He says in chapter 2, again, referencing kind of what's at the foundation of chapters 3 and 4, which we are in. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? You know, you can stand on something, but what are you doing about it, James says. For example, being critical about all the things your spouse does or your parents do and not lifting a finger yourself, right? It's easy to be a critic. We're all good critics. But what are we doing about it? 
I could give a lot of examples, but uh, being that this has been an election year and election week, with all that's going on, I think about some really big issues that we are facing both as a nation and as, uh, as a world today. And one of the things that comes to mind for me is a big subject, and, and believe me, huge subject, controversial subject to many. It, it's been politicized, even though it's really not a political issue, it's a life issue. But take, for example, abortion. My heart breaks for the millions of children that have died at the hands of doctors. Doctors are supposed to help. But my heart also breaks for the hurting and the oppressed and the fearful being forced and raped to and lied to and, and, and misled. God loves you. If you've had an abortion, God loves you and he loves your child. I want to be very delicate with the way that I address this. But he also is a God of life. He's a creator God who loves life. He created for that purpose even with all of the problems and the brokenness today. He loves Life And too often, church, we've stood on biblical ground and then personally done nothing to help young women in crisis or oppression. Just by one example, standing upon the truth while ignoring the need, James says, is arrogance. Because it's a claim of superiority of knowledge, but it's lacking grace. It's like this. Voting one way, but neglecting the issues in the society and everyday life. That's simply not living out the gospel. Am I wrong in, in, in making that assumption? Church, we're called to live out what we believe. And that may be very difficult to do in some circumstances, but there are things every single day that we can do that will affect society and culture around us. Secular or unbiblical judgment is grounded in arrogance, and I'm convicted of that. And this was tearing apart the church in James' day, and that's why he uses such strong language in chapter 4. But may we not look past our own arrogance and judgmental attitudes towards one another, not just seeing this as someone else or someone in the limelight or something that used to be, but seeing it for what it really is. It hurts people to judge and by the way, it kills evangelism. Think about that just for a moment. You want to drive people away? Be super judgy. <laughs> Seriously. You want to have like no friends? Be super judgmental. <laughs> Do you want to hurt and divide people? Be judgmental. See, we're not the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to convict of sin. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching all things. And he promises that his spirit will go with us. See, this isn't just a Sunday thing, church. Jesus is about all days of the week. And he calls us to live out the gospel. I think about a family that, that my, my family, we carpool. It's kind of a connection through sports anyway. 
And I think about this family uh, that I was having some conversation with at a sporting event. And, and without going too, too far into it, I was thinking about this particular conversation I was having with them because we were talking about kind of, you know, what people think of others and judgment and, and actually, in this case, racial inequality and all of that. And one of the things that um, this particular person said to me on this occasion was, you know, we have certainly felt uh, that we are treated differently because of our race. And I asked them to expound on that a little bit more. And, 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 then, and then she said, you were the first family to say hi to us at this, uh, at, on this team. And I thought, what? They've been here for years. We were the first ones to say hi. We're talking about saying hi to someone, right? And, and I, I, began to, I began to understand what they had been through recently and how it applied to them personally. And I began to be more empathetic of their situation and less judgmental of the situation. You see where I'm going with this, right? Why? Because in our arrogance or our pride or our selfishness, James addresses all three in chapters 3 and 4, he says, that does not belong in the church. It hurts people. Now, secular judgment we're establishing is grounded in arrogance. Man, I, there's so much more to say, but we only have another hour. But, just kidding. But, but so is boasting about the future. This is interesting, because at first it doesn't seem to relate, but look at verse 13 with me. It's a nice day, don't worry. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and, and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that, as it is. You boast in your arrogance. You have to be really arrogant to boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In other words, church, you, you have the scriptures you have no excuse. I like this picture. You'll see it up here in a second. People who think they know everything annoy those of us who do. <laughs> yeah. But what about those who think that they know more than God himself? Whoa, right? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with making plans, having a 401k, having a financial goal in life. The Bible consistently speaks to stewardship. Jesus taught constantly on biblical, what we call biblical stewardship. But here James shows us that plans made in the mind and spoken with the mouth without understanding a true view of life and without considering what God intends for us is arrogance. And, and it's foolishness. He's talking about the arrogance of assumption that we determine our life, which we don't. He's addressing the believer who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but in actuality is really just following his or her own will. I'm going to move here. I'm going to work here. I'm going to make this much money. 
Then I'm going to move up in the company and, and get the house and the car and the bank account and, and retire in this fashion. And, and that in itself isn't wrong, but it's that attitude that says, I believe in God, but what that has to do with business or the workplace or my schooling or, or what that has to do with any other part of my life, even my hobbies, I'm not sure it has any difference. It's that sort of attitude, which is absolutely ridiculous for a believer in Christ to be thinking. Consider what Proverbs 16.9 says. Just as one example, this version, I think this is NIV, says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The New Living Translation I like too because it gives us some, some, some good insight as to what it really means. We can make our plans, it says, but the Lord determines our steps. Acknowledging that we do make plans. We will. That's human nature. It's what we do. In fact, in, in one sense or another, we're called to do that. But all is determined by a creator. And there's no evidence in all of the world that determines otherwise. He reminds us of two things. Just two. The first is, and I've already said it, you don't know what tomorrow may bring. Man, do we need to hear that this week. You have no idea. Stop trying to play God. Trust his way, not your own. Every time we take matters into our own hands, we mess it up. Every single time. I mean, like when I worry about tomorrow, for example, it helps me in no way whatsoever. And in fact, all it does is get my heart rate to go up, and then I get super cranky. <laughs> Have you ever been cranky? Are you cranky this morning? What are you cranky about? Cranky about the Vikings record? Are you cranky about election stuff? Are you cranky about in, impending issues that are going to go through the court system? Are you cranky about something in relationship with someone else? What's on your mind this morning? God is in control. He, he knows the future. He's so much less concerned with what we want and so much more concerned about what we need. And he holds, as, as we talked about earlier, he holds the future in his hand. Think about that. What an awesome picture. He holds the future in his hand. And it relates very well to the second thing that James brings up. And that is, life's a mist. Love that picture. Now keep in mind what that means. This is Febreze, not water. Let's see if that smells okay. I hope. How, how quick did that just evaporate? What a picture of life, is it not? It is both frightening to consider. Life is short. But even more so, you know what James is talking about? You're one in billions. And, and the mist that we are is only a part of what God is doing. 
He has a much bigger plan is what he's saying. He's not demeaning us. He's saying, no, life's a miss. And what he's really saying is no king or president or writer or musician or movie star or athlete or teacher or philosopher or scientist or astronomer can stand up to the God of the universe. He's not sitting up in heaven going, oh, dear heavens, what am I going to do about this guy now? No, he's ruling and overruling. And he's, he's in just as much control today as he was before last Tuesday and Thursday and the Tuesday before that and the years before that. And I need to hear that today as I'm challenged by James that your life is a mist, that we serve God's will, not the other way around. Nothing is too hard for him to handle. No power on earth or hell below can stand up to our God. James is speaking about this, that the idea of life, it's from God and for God and to God. It's not our own. He has greater purposes to accomplish. So when we pray your will be done, just as Jesus taught us, on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that his will be done, not ours. And we have, we have to, excuse me, we have to understand that when we pray that prayer, we are, we are inviting tension into our lives in one way or another. You pray God's kingdom come, Satan doesn't want God's will to be done. He will attack, he will fight, and yet what James tells us is church, when you represent the grace and love of Jesus Christ, the world will take notice. That's why none of that other stuff, that other arrogance, belongs in the church. Life is a mist. You had no control over to whom you were born, where you were born. You were born naked and with nothing, and you're still not in control. But God is. Praise the Lord that God is. See, the believer in Christ carries the attitude, if the Lord wills, every day and in everything, if the Lord wills, say it with me, seriously, if the Lord wills, that is our attitude as we leave this place, if the Lord wills. And that's certainly not saying, oh, we'll just do whatever. No, it's actually quite the opposite. What it is, is it's saying, Lord, you're in control. So you guide me, you direct me. And by the way, oh, when God is directing, boy, he's going to change some things in your life. He's going to take what you thought you should be doing, and he's likely going to say, nope. Why? Because he's much more concerned about our needs than our wants. So church, what James calls us to do is lay aside our arrogances and our, and our pride and say, Jesus, you come in and you lead. And that's no easy thing to do. And, and as we close today, what, I, what I'd actually like you to do, because it's just really a posture of, of response, I'd like you to stand with me. And if you're at home, you can do whatever you feel. 
But here's what I want you to do. I just want you to just lay your hands out like this with me. And I'd like you to just pray. You don't have to pray this out loud, but I'd like you to pray in your heart. Holy Spirit, may I be open to your leading. I need wisdom. Man, I need a lot of mercy and grace. I really thought that the way things should be should be this way, but maybe, God, you have a different plan. And I don't know the plans because I don't know what tomorrow may bring, so I surrender it to you. And that goes for both what I want and what I need. And so, Lord, I, I just I, I give you my pride. I give you my arrogance. And I say, Lord Jesus, you, you guide me. So every time I try to take the wheel, I, I just wind up making it worse or worrying. And, and as relationships are, are, are not as strong as they once were, I need you to come in and, and, and change my heart so that you could bring peace. Lord, it's such a beautiful thing to see you work. What a beautiful thing. When we follow your will, it's a picture of peace and freedom and grace. And I need that today, and I think all of us do. No matter when we're listening to this or watching it too, but right here and right now, I need that from you. And so I pray this, Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, you be the one in control. Your will be done.